beautiful. You may be seated. Uh, Brother Allen was just telling me that uh, he was worshiping last night with our guys overseas. Uh, they do a Zoom, uh, Zoom call. What, what time does that thing happen? Uh, midnight our time? And so every week, Allen worships with some of our disciples in Asia at midnight. So for any of you insomniacs in the room who want to worship with our disciples in Asia, Alan, give you the hook, give you the hook up on that. Y'all all worship together. Just telling me that uh, they send their love to us and uh, they wanted you to know things are just going wonderfully there. Telling me just, he was showing pictures of just house churches packed to capacity. Yeah, just packed wall to wall in somebody's living room or ki- or whatever room, whatever room. Beautiful, beautiful, great things are happening. Great things are happening. Listen, my goal today, uh, th- this whole series is not really to get down in the details. It's high level. It's a thirty thousand foot kind of series to help you be able to tell and understand the whole story of the Bible. Story's not complicated. Bible story's pretty simple. It's the structure of the story that's complicated. Once you understand the framework of the story, that it's framed in six covenants, and when, when that light bulb goes off, you're like, oh, I understand what this passage is saying now. And so my goal today is having, I left you last week in the monarchy period. So this is the kings of Israel. This is the Davidic covenant. They're in the land now. They wanted a king. They got him a king. Wasn't the right king. God gave him a better king. <clears throat> and so the monarchy. So now it's going to be, you know, David, Solomon, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and, and, and all the kids coming. So uh, this is the monarchy period. They're operating under the, this, both now the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic, they all build on each other, the Mosaic covenant, and now the Davidic covenant, and we're getting ready for the New Testament to happen, the New Covenant to happen. And I'm going to take you from David now to the New Covenant. So the books of your Bible, I want you to think books of the Bible for a minute. So when you're in that first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, it's telling the story of the kings. Now that David and Goliath is in there over there in first Samuel and, and, and all of the story of his anointing and struggle with Saul, that's the monarchy starting. And then uh, you, you, you know the, the wisdom literature and the song book, which is the biggest book in the Bible, the Psalms. If you let your Bible fall open to the middle, it'll fall open to the book of Psalms almost every time. It's a very long book, and it's a song book of the Old Testament. Psalms were written by Moses and David and, 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 and choir directors and Asaph and musicians and, and combined together in a book of songs. What follows is wisdom literature, and uh, these are Proverbs, you know, Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. And then it'll start morphing over into the prophets. This is Isaiah and Jeremiah and... Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and et al. Following now. The prophets, this huge section of your Old Testament. Uh, We're going to start in the prophets, and I want to talk about the prophets, take you to the New Covenant, and then next week Pastor David's going to start unpacking the New Covenant to give you detail that I can't get to this morning. We're going to take communion together as a church next Sunday morning. So all of that will be happening Next week. So my goal today is high level. Let me get you from Isaiah into the New Testament. I'm going to give you scripture from at least eight different books of the Bible this morning. But before I start, let me start with a little personal anecdote. I wanted to live in a neighborhood with an HOA. I had reasons for that, okay? I, I chose to do that, and I've chose to do it as we've Gone through a few houses now in our lifetime, uh, twice. Twice we've had HOAs, and, and once we didn't. So, twi- the, so the last two homes we've owned, we, we had a HOA. We chose to live in a neighborhood with an HOA. Now, we chose to live in an HOA neighborhood, yet I get upset any time the HOA sends me a letter. <laughs> now, I hope I can find some common ground with you this morning. And I want to say to you, what's wrong with me? I'm the one who chose to live in an HOA neighborhood. What's wrong with me? Well, I don't like being reminded that I'm breaking the rules. I know I'm breaking the rules. (laughs) I just don't want you to tell me that I'm breaking the rules. So let's take a very scientific poll this morning. How many of you live in a HOA neighborhood? 
Let's see, in the room. It's at least half of the congregation. Now, when you purchased your dream home in that HOA neighborhood, that great neighborhood that you live in, at closing, when they dropped that eight inches of paper on the table and you started signing your life away, in those documents, some of those documents contained the HOA covenant. They were in there. That's part of what you signed. And whoever was at your closing was like, okay, sign here. This is the this. This is the that. This is the this. This is the that. Okay, sign here. Okay, you got to date it. Use your middle name here. This is the HOA covenant. And they put that in front of you and you signed off on, on that HOA covenant. Okay, now you've lived in your home a year or two or three. And if you're normal, you've probably received a few letters from your HOA saying that you have broken a rule or two, or six or whatever, and you've left your trash cans out for too long. That's the biggie, right? Or when you rolled them back up to the house, we can still see them. Please get them out of eyesight. I'm going to pretend like there's no trash in this neighborhood. So get them hidden where we can't see them. Or you've got that letter that says, please cut your grass. You have weeds. Uh, the tree. Well, sorry. The stick. That once was a tree. <laughs> do you all have a stick, Letty? You blurted out right there. You're gonna get, do you have an HOA? Have you got the letter? Well, praise God. I found somebody to preach to this morning. Yeah. So when you got the letter, it irritated you. But you know you've got a dead stick in the front yard that needs to be a tree. You signed the rules, but yet you're upset that they sent you the stinking letter because you don't want to be told, because you are going to get to it, maybe, in your time. Or maybe you're not, unless they force you to. Either way, so now here comes the letter, you get the letter, replace the dead tree in the front yard. Here's what I want to say to you. We, we all love the concept of a homeowner's association, an HOA. We all love the concept because it has the benefit of keeping our home value high, right? That's why we wanted an HOA neighborhood. So the value of our home would continue to rise if other neighborhoods started to decline. But we hate the idea when the HOA calls us out for violating the terms of the covenant that we agreed to. We love the benefits of the HOA, like a well-maintained landscape in the neighborhood, or maybe a sparkling, clean community pool where, where we can go and play and enjoy the outdoors. We love the benefits of the HOA, but we don't love it when the HOA tries to enforce the terms of the covenant. And yet we signed the rules. We agreed to the terms of the covenant. Now, with that deeply in your heart this morning, the best way to explain the role of an Old Testament prophet is to characterize them as HOA code enforcement. That's who they are. If you'll think about the prophets in this way, the prophets were the enforcers of those covenants we've been talking about. That covenant God made with Abraham, that covenant God made with Moses, uh, and all of the Israel essentially at Sinai. Those covenants that God made, remember, and I told you to read them last week, those chapters in Deuteronomy or Joshua, you know, blessing and cursing chapters. Listen, if you don't keep the rules, listen, God's going to deal very seriously with you. Those blessings can dry up overnight, and uh, etc. And they signed the covenant. They said, yes, we will serve the Lord, but here come the prophets because we need some HOA enforcement now. Because the people aren't going to replace the stick unless you harass them with a letter. And the people aren't going to repent and get rid of the idols and turn to God and stay true unless there's some voices. And then this is true of all of us. This is why we need accountability. It's why you need to be in a discipleship group. It's why you need a church family. It's why when people say, well, I, don't, I, you know, I love God, but I don't really believe in belonging to a church. Who holds you accountable? Who in your life is holding you accountable to growth, to, to, to transformation, to, to being a part of the mission of God. You see, that's what God's doing right here. That's why he gave us these structures. And Israel would not stay true. So God sent some voices, some very strong personality and some very bizarre people. Uh, now, you have, I don't have time to tell all the stories of the prophets. Maybe we'll do, Pastor David, maybe we need to do a series on, on the prophets 
and show you what kind of bizarre and strange characters some of these prophets were, okay? And uh, they were accountability voices that held Israel true. So let's get to this. What was their message? What was the message of the prophets? Well, they were called to remind Israel, hey, don't forget you signed the covenant. You're in a covenant with God, Israel. This whole Israel, the whole nation of it, the whole ideal was God's idea to have a holy people where everybody's a king and a priest, where everybody loves God, where everybody would reflect God, where Israel as a nation could show the pagan nations what a real godly nation looked like. And they could reflect God to the whole world. But then they started living like the world and worshiping the world's idols. So the prophets are like, whoa, 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 stop Breaking the terms of the covenant. If you keep the terms of the covenant, God will bless us. If you break the terms of the covenant, then the blessings will cease. But here's what happened. Then Israel got all arrogant. Like the modern church here in America. Yes, we are God's elect. And that's all they want to talk about is how elect they were. And how chosen they were. And how destined they were to be God's people and how high and mighty they see we are God's chosen people so here's what the prophet said yes you are God's chosen people you all have the mark of Israel outwardly now this congregation's IQ has been raised you know what the mark is right you all have the mark of the sons of God outwardly the problem is inwardly you have no heart for God You need a new heart, Israel. And you're going to see that language start popping up now in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. As we go forward, you've got the sign and you think, well, we're God's people. Of course, he's going to, we're special. He has to deal with us. He'll put up with us. He'll tolerate our bad behavior. He has no other people but us. Prophets start saying things like, wow, wow, you got the mark, but you need the right heart. And if you break the terms of the covenant, God is going to punish our nation. That mark that you're so proud of doesn't make you that special. Matter of fact, the mark without the heart means absolutely nothing. Means absolutely nothing. Maybe we need a heart circumcision. Now I told you it was all over the Bible and it's going to be all over the reading today. Maybe we need a heart change instead of a physical, outward change. And this is the message of the prophets that you're about to hear. The prophets start speaking about the heart. Now, Israel just ignores the prophets. Whatever. We're God's people. We're special. We're chosen. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. If God doesn't like the way we're behaving, he'll just have to put up with it because he doesn't have any other people. So, huh. That was their attitude. And arrogantly, Israel assumes that they have an exclusive deal with God. Now, if you'll hear what I'm saying, it'll make your New Testament start to make sense as well when you start reading about Jesus having exchanges with scribes and Pharisees and all of these uber-religious people who think they're going to heaven because of their robes and their temple and their candlestick. And Jesus says, yeah... Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to see heaven. (laughs) Wow, that's a blow because they think we've got exclusivity with God. Their thinking is basically God has to work with us. He has no other people. So, huh. But to their surprise, to their surprise, God begins to work in a different way. The prophets start speaking about, now I'm going to articulate this, the prophets start speaking about a new Israel. See, Israel was an idea. Being a Jew was an idea of God. A holy people reflecting God where every man and woman's a king and priest in in the, you know, everybody has a relationship, everybody knows God. You don't have to come through a high priest system. We all are priests to God. That was always God's idea. So they say, huh, God. We don't have to do what you tell us to do. God says, okay, well, how about I just make a new Israel? You see, when the nations of the world wouldn't honor God after the flood, you know what God did? He made a nation out of Abraham. So you don't think God could do it again? 
God says, well, I'll just make a new Israel then, and I'll make a new David, and I'll make a new circumcision. And this is what the prophets are about to talk about. We call this foreshadowing in literature. And what this is foreshadowing is that a new covenant is coming, and a new covenant nation, new covenant people are about to be discussed, where God's going to break forth and do something that brings to a climax everything he's been talking about across the other five covenants. Call this people the new Israel. Call these people the true Israel. Call these people the new covenant people. Call them the church of the New Testament if you want to. Call them you and I if you dare. But that's who they're talking about. Let's talk about the new Israel. I'm taking now Jeremiah the prophet. Here's what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law where? Well, see, they had the law in tables and in books. They had the law written down in uh, code. They had the law written down, inscribed in stone, and written in books. God said, it's not doing you any good, is it? What you need is you need God's law written in your heart. You need to have a heart for God, not just a picture of the Ten Commandments. Now, I've got nothing against you if you've got the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall in your house. Praise God. But what he's saying is it would be far better to have those Ten Commandments operating internally than it would be have them hanging on the wall. Let's get them in your heart. I will put, he declares, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, it sounds like he's talking about Israel, but he's not. He's talking about another people that are going to come. Maybe it's Israel. Maybe it's bigger than Israel. Listen to what Ezekiel the prophet said. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new, say it out loud. See, this just keeps becoming the discussion here. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you that heart of stone. Your heart's messed up. You need a better heart. You need a new heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a tender heart, a heart that responds to God. I will put my spirit in you. Oh, this is New Testament now. The Holy Spirit's coming to live in every one of us who believe on Jesus Christ. That's what they're talking about. You're going to get God's Spirit in you. And what will the Spirit do? He will move you to follow God's decrees and to carefully keep His laws. You know, here's the problem. They could never keep the the code. They could never keep the terms of the covenant because they had no heart to do it. In the New Testament, we get the Holy Spirit and He helps us live the life of Christ from the inside out. He empowers us and makes it possible for us to do what we can't do in the flesh. So the prophets talking about a new Israel. Let's go a little bit further. Listen to them talk about a new King David. This is Ezekiel 37, verse 23. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and their vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them for all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people. And I will be their God. Suzerain, vassal covenant. Listen to the next verse, 27. Uh, sorry, 24. My servant, David. Wait, David's been dead a long time. What in the world's the prophet talking about? My servant, David, will be the king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. Wait, David's been dead a long time. Ezekiel, how can you tell us that there's a new people coming with a new heart that will have the Spirit of God in them and David will be their king? He must be talking about a new David. He must be talking about a new king that's coming. Now listen to them talk about a new circumcision. It begins with Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Even Moses, who gave them the original uh, uh, Sinai covenant... Built on the Abrahamic covenant, even Moses is already talking about a new circumcision. Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and you will live. 
You know, this sounds a lot like Jesus. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is the great commandment. And the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Taken out of the Shema, the, the law which Moses is writing down over here, the rules, the terms of the covenant. Moses says, yeah, you guys all have the mark, but a day's coming when... Some, it, foreshadowing. The mark isn't the big deal. A changed heart is what it points to. And those people are going to come and they're going to keep God's rules. Jeremiah, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 9, 25. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in flesh. Evidently, that's not the ultimate then, is it? Egypt, Judah, Edom, Amnon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised. But watch the ending. And even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Yeah, they had the mark and they thought they were all that. But God says you can go through all the motions of religion and you can go through all the motions and you can still not have a heart for God. So clear is this that when Paul's writing the great book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul grabs this theme now and carries it forward. Listen to Paul. Romans 2.28 A person is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A person is a Jew who is one which way? Inwardly. And circumcision always pointed to the real thing, which was circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, not written in code. Well, we're learning a whole lot this morning now. Your biblical IQ is just going up like this now. Those things that were physical signs in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in the New. They were just shadows of real things that were to come. What's very clear is that physical circumcision was just a foreshadowing of the heart transformation that would take place in the future covenant people of God, the new Israel, the kingdom of God, the New Testament church, you and I, this is what they're talking about, the era which Jesus launched all the way to where we're living, where we live with the Holy Spirit inside our person. Because we've received Jesus Christ and our hearts are being changed so that we can please God. So that we can live out the life of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, all of the former covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. All of the former covenants are pointing to a future reality that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Alright, now it's a story. The Bible's a piece of literature. It's framed in covenants. Each covenant, Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, book of Genesis. Now you leave Genesis, Abraham to Moses, that's Exodus. Moses is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, to the start of Joshua. This is the Mosaic covenant, carries the story all the way forward, all the way forward to David and the kingdom. I promise a new king, David, will come from your seed that will rule Israel ultimately. That's the fifth covenant. There's only one more, and it's the new covenant in Jesus Christ, which we're about to talk about. From the monarchy to Jesus, the prophets are sitting right here. And what's the job of the prophets? Code enforcement. You're breaking the rules. Here's your letter. Clean up your act. That's the role of the prophets. Did Israel listen to the prophets? Oh, heck no. They killed them. <laughs> they didn't like their message. Now, I'm just joking when I say maybe you want to shoot your HOA. I'm just joking. I don't mean it literally. So I'm going to shoot that guy who was over here writing me letters. Listen, they actually killed the messenger. You know where we get this saying in, in, in America? Hey, don't shoot the messenger. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger. What does that mean? It means you've got a bigger problem than with me. But people tend to take it out on the messenger. 
And in the Old Testament sense, yeah, they killed all the prophets. <laughs> they didn't like their message. They threw them in prison, threw them in dungeons, yeah, killed them, got rid of them, chased them, down, hunted them. Yeah, they, they lived in caves. They, they were hunted, wanted people with bounties on their head, like Elijah and those guys. Jezebel wanted them all dead. Listen, it was, a, it was a rough life being a prophet. You got a very unpopular message. Nobody ever wants to hear what you say. And when you say it, everybody wants to kill you. Well, that was the job of the prophets. And their message and these covenants are all foreshadows of the big reality that's coming in Jesus Christ. We read about Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, Moses. They all point to a greater person, which is Jesus Christ. The terms of the, when I say Old Covenant now, as contrast with the New, where we're going, when I say Old Covenant, I really mean Mosaic, Sinai, Covenant. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the one that gets the most attention. Let's just call it the Old Covenant. It kind of characterizes the Old Testament. And the New Covenant characterizes the New Testament. Pastor David will unpack that more for you next week. When you read about the terms of the Old Covenant, what you would call laws, circumcision, keeping of feasts, keeping of Sabbaths, all of these things are pointing to a bigger reality. And that reality is the person of Jesus Christ. You guys are going to talk about the Passover next week in taking communion. Listen, do you all know who the Passover lamb is? It's not that fluffy white little lamb. That's just a placeholder pointing the way. Listen, this is what John the Baptist said when Jesus showed up at the baptism. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why Paul said, Christ, our Passover is crucified for us. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. Let me read what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2 to one of these European churches. Here's what he said. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let me tell you why this will help make the New Testament make sense for you. As they transition into the New Covenant in the New Testament, the, the people are confused because they're still trying to live in the Old Covenant. They're still trying to say, see, I've got circumcision mark. I'm, I'm, I'm God's chosen. They're still trying to observe Sabbaths. They're still trying to serve feasts. They're still trying to live by the law. And when the gospel transitions into the new covenant and starts moving into Europe, Paul's like, guys, stop it. Stop it. You're not under the old covenant anymore. You're in the new covenant. You're living in a different framework, a different agreement, a different contract with God than they were living in. Quit trying to go back into that. So here's how it comes out in Colossians. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Why? You're not in that covenant anymore with regard to a religious festival or a new moon or a celebration or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found where? Christ is the fulfillment of all of that. Every time they were take, ha- having a feast or a Sabbath or a whatever, it's all like a giant neon sign pointing to Jesus Christ. Once Christ has come and done His cross work and done His resurrection work, that covenant is, is fulfilled in Christ. We're living under a new agreement now. Let me say it this way. Uh, some of you read uh, theological books and you read uh, uh, religious writings. It'll say, like I'm about to say it right now, so I'll explain the word. All of the covenants have their telos in Christ. That telos word means ultimate object, ultimate fulfillment. For some of you that are reading some advanced stuff, when you see that, the covenants have their telos in Christ. It means the ultimate fulfillment of all of the covenants is Jesus. Let me say it in layman's terms. Jesus is the new Adam. Adam could not stand up to Satan's temptations. True or false? True. Jesus did. Remember that? It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Oh yeah, he just put it on him. Listen, he did resist Satan's temptation. Jesus is the ultimate Noah. Noah could not bring in a covenant kingdom, a righteous nation, a holy people. But Jesus can. Jesus is the true Hebrew. The obedient son of Abraham. Jesus is the great high priest who keeps the terms of God. Who loves God with his whole heart and loves his neighbor as himself. Jesus is 
the supreme son of David. Jesus is the king of David's line who fulfills everything uh, that God wanted in a king. He's God's idea of humanity. When we say humanity, we think of this. This is broken. This is not true humanity. Jesus is true humanity. That's what God wanted for all of us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenants and the whole framework of the story the Bible's telling points to Jesus Christ. Now, I know sometimes when I spring a new idea on you, you're like, wow, how do I know you're telling me the truth, Pastor? I've never been taught this. Went to Bible college four years. Nobody ever mentioned this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They need reformation. I've been in church all my life. No one's ever explained how to read the Bible in this way. I'm sorry. We're late bloomers, okay? That's not the issue. The issue is that we grab it now and get understanding and raise our biblical IQ together as a church family now. Just so you know, this is framed correctly. I want to read to you excerpts from the great speech, the longest talk in the New Testament, longest sermon in the New Testament, given by Stephen. Stephen was put on trial by Saul of Tarsus. You guys know who that is. It's the Apostle Paul pre-conversion when he's still a terrorist. And Saul of Tarsus has taken Stephen, follower of Jesus Christ, and has accused him of heresy. And they've thrown him outside Stephen's gate in Jerusalem. We'll see it next year, God willing. And they take Stephen outside the city walls of Jerusalem and they grab stones and they're ready to execute him. It's brutal. I don't want to clean this up, but it's brutal. You're going to throw rocks at somebody till their head cracks open like a watermelon, their brains spill out. I mean, their ribs break, you can hear the bone snap, blood spurts out. I mean, this is a gruesome, horrible death to be stoned to death. They're about to stone Stephen, and he says, well, before y'all do what you're going to do, I'd like to say something. And so they let him give his, what do you call that, <laughs> final words? Yeah, final words. Any final words before we hang you? Yeah, I'd like to say some final words. And Stephen steps forward and gives one of the most beautiful, articulate summaries of the Bible recorded in Scripture. Now, listen to Stephen's summary of the Bible and see if it sounds familiar for the last three weeks, okay? Stephen's not going to deal with Adam and he's not going to deal with Noah. That's a foregone conclusion. But he's going to pick the story up somewhere very familiar. Listen to Stephen's speech now. You guys in the booth follow me. Acts 7-2. To this Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you your own story, as a matter of fact. The God of glory appeared to our father. There's where the story starts. He's going to frame this thing up in covenants just the way the Bible is, is read. God appeared to Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Verse 8. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. And that's how we got in Israel. There you can sum the story up just that fast, right? That's how we got a new nation called Israel. Verse 18. Then a new king that did not know Joseph. Joseph meant nothing to the new king. New Pharaoh came to power in Egypt. Wait, that's just the way I told you guys the story, isn't it? Verse 20, let me fast forward. At that time Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Fast forward ten verses. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. Let me fast forward. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt and the Red Sea and for forty years in the wilderness. Verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under, who led them into the promised land, brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them, and it remained in the land until the time of, talk to me, David. David. He's framing this argument right down the covenants now. Listen to Stephen's summary before they kill him. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people. God doesn't have any other people, so he has to work with us many, many, many. 
We have the keys to the temple and we'll let you in if we want and we'll keep you out if we don't. Huh? Gentiles out, Jews in. Hmm. Men in, women out. Hmm. Oh yeah, that's the way it was. You jerks. I guess if you're going to die, it doesn't matter, right? Your hearts, listen to what he says, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. Gosh, we've come through thousands of years of people called prophets saying to you, here's another letter, get rid of the stick. Here's another letter, plant some flowers. Here's another letter, get rid of the idols. Here's another letter, worship God. Here's another letter, quit mistreating visitors and strangers in the land. Here's another letter. And the prophets kept giving them letter after letter after letter, and they would not change their hearts. Listen to what he says. Like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He said, it's not that you guys haven't had the truth. It's not that the truth hadn't been presented to you. But your hearts are so wicked. You run around with your circumcision thinking you're all that. Your hearts are wicked. You're not God's people. Israel was God's idea. Being a Jew was God's idea. Like being Adam and Eve was God's idea. People who had a covenant relationship with God, who were angled mirrors, kings and priests reflecting God to a physical creation and reflecting the worship and glory of that creation back to the Creator, great suzerain king, God Almighty. That was always God's idea. That's what a Jew is truly. That's what Israel always should have been in reality. And you're not that. And now, you have betrayed... And murdered him. They predicted the coming of the righteous one. But now you've betrayed him. You murdered the Messiah. Well, that's pretty, pretty accurate telling of Genesis to the end of Luke right there. That, summari- that sermon just summarized the entire Bible to the opening of the book of Acts almost. To the, to the resurrection moment right there. This is the story of the Bible. That's what I've been trying to share with you in the last weeks. This is what we call the meta-narrative, the grand narrative of this piece of literature called the Holy Bible. And it's structured in six covenants. Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to Moses, Moses to David, David to Jesus Christ. Who is the new David, the new Moses, the new Abraham, the new Jew, the new Adam. And that's why Paul in writing the book of Romans said, and then the second Adam appeared. It's true talking about Jesus Christ. That first Adam got us under the penalty of sin. But that new Adam showed up and made righteousness available again so that we can get the human project back on track. And get back to what God always envisioned for us. Our story as humanity is this. Sometimes we gave up on God. But God has never given up on us. This is the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve blew it. He didn't give up on us. And after ten generations made a new covenant with Noah. After ten generations they had it so messed up they rebelled in a united nations of rebellion at the Tower of Babel. So what did God do? Burn the planet up? Say never mind. It just ain't going to work out. No, He didn't give up on us. He found a man named Abraham and made a new people. Made a new nation. Well, then the nation had no heart for God. But he didn't give up on them. He pulled them out of slavery and said, let's restart again. Mosaic covenant. Follow the covenant terms. They're very extensively laid out. Deuteronomy. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Well, then they had the mark of God, but no heart for God. Can you all feel God's exasperation yet? I'm wore out with it. And I'm part of it. Because sometimes I don't have a heart for God either. And yet he doesn't give up on me. And he doesn't give up on you. We sometimes wandered away from God. But here's the story. God's never wandered away from you. Your heart has at times got cold to God. God's heart has always been warm to you. 
It's a beautiful story of Luke 15. You have sometimes wandered away from the Father's house. Yet the Father sits on the front porch looking for you to come home every day. And at the first sign that you would turn around and come back to Him and re-engage in a relationship, He'll run to meet you and throw His arms around you and weep on your neck and say, Get a ring. Get a robe. Get some shoes. This is my son. This is my child. Go kill the fatted calf. We are going to party. That's how much God loves you. This is our story. And this is Israel's story. Heaven and earth are reunited in Jesus Christ. You see, what's happening right now is the temple as a building. This is Genesis to Malachi. The temple as a building is passé. It's old news. I travel all over the world and I see idol temples and famous temples and famous, you know, uh, mosques and, and famous cathedrals and famous basilicas. Man, go to, go to Rome. You just you trip over one every ten steps. You know, famous churches everywhere. Listen, the building as a temple is outdated thinking. That's old covenant thinking. The building is no longer the temple of God. In the new covenant, we are living temples of Almighty God. We're back to Eden now. Because of the cross work and resurrection of Jesus, remember those prophets kept saying, we're going to put the Holy Spirit in some, we're going to give them the Spirit. He's going to give them a heart circumcision. That has now become a reality for you and I. Heaven and earth have reconnected right here in my heart because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. The kingdom of God has now been inaugurated. Jesus said, it's here if you'll receive it. It's growing like the mustard seed parable. And it's overtaking the earth. And soon the return of Christ and the resurrection will restore our bodies and will restore planet earth to what it should have been from the beginning. That's the story of the Bible. The new covenant is your story. Now, when I'm reading all this Old Testament stuff, you're thinking, wow, that's not my story. Yeah, but hold on. All of the biblical covenants are part of the big story. They frame the story from Genesis to Revelation. No covenant is unrelated to what came before it. No covenant is standalone. It's always connected to what preceded it. They build one upon another. The New Testament assumes you have read the Old Testament. Now, now imagine my struggle as a pastor, okay? Sarah McMurdo just gets saved. She's 37. She never really read the Bible. She doesn't really know that much about what Christianity teaches. She, she puts her trust in Jesus Christ. She's born again. And I say to Sarah, now you need to read your Bible and learn about God and grow in the faith. And she says, well, okay, I'll read my Bible. Now, I've got to give her some direction. Okay? And here's my dilemma. I don't want to start her in the Old Testament. Cut your foreskin and swear allegiance and walk between the altar. She's like, I just joined a cult. I've got to get out of here as quick as I can. This is a freak show, you know? I don't want to start her in the New Testament because it assumes you've read the Old. Do you see my dilemma? So, I'll start her in the New, and then I'll have to explain to her how it relates to the Old. But do you see the predicament we're in? The Old Testament's tough to understand for a young Christian, but the New Testament assumes that you've already read the Old Testament. Because the New Covenant, the New Testament assumes that you understand the previous five covenants that framed the story up to this point. And starting someone just in the New Testament's like, here, I want to give you a book to read. There's 50 chapters. Start on 30. Well, you, you open the book. Let's imagine, Sarah just gets saved. So she opens the book of Matthew and it says, this is the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David. What? Say it again. Who's David? Exactly. The son of Abraham. There you go. Now, this is what I want to say to an intelligent congregation right here. 
you are some people with spiritual IQ. Because now you're getting part of the tension that we live with as Christians. If you take a new Christian and hand them the Bible and it says, well, and David and Abraham and Ezra, you're like, I'm lost. You see, I started reading the book at the end of the book and I don't know who the characters are. And I don't know what they did. and, And I make this mistake all the time as a pastor. Uh, Skyler, we have to stop doing this to our congregation when we preach to them. Here's what I do as a pastor. I'll be preaching along and, and it'll say something. I'll say, well, you guys know who Abraham is, right? And I just keep preaching. And there's about 30 people are like, no, I don't know who Abraham is. And why does it matter? And what did he do? Okay, so now y'all are understanding. You're understanding why the previous covenants are important and why it's important to at least know who Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses Joshua gets you in the promised land to the monarch. David, David gets you through the prophets to Jesus Christ. It's important to understand the framework of the scripture. And when you understand that, see, we look at the Old Testament and say it's not really our story. The New Testament is our story. The new covenant in Jesus is my story. Yeah, but the new covenant is the fulfillment of the other five covenants. So now, when you go back and read the Old Testament, you're not reading the Jew's story. You're reading your story. So when you open the Bible and it says, and God created Adam, you're like, there's my grandpa. And he and Eve sinned, and you say, yep, that's my family, right there. Blew it again, yep. And then ten generations to Noah, and you're like, wow, Noah, that's my grandpappy. Yep, and he and those eight people, his sons and their wives, yep. That, just like my family tree, screwed it up again. Yep, all right. And, and here comes Abraham, and you're like, is Abraham my father? Well, we'll deal with that in just a second. Yes, he is. He's the father of all those who believe by faith. What I'm saying to you is when you rightly understand the new covenant and the structure of the Bible, now you understand why the Old Testament is also your story. It's not the story of the Jews. I mean, it is, but it's really your story. It's your story of how you got right here with a Jewish Messiah living in North Texas. How did you get a Jewish Messiah living in North Texas? Well, this is how you got it right here. This is your story. When we open the New Testament, listen, fulfillment is palpable when you open the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When the New Testament opens, something big's about to happen and you can feel it in the air. Let's take John, for example. John, when he begins to write in the opening of the New Testament, John starts at baptism scene. Why? Because baptism is the sign of a new covenant. A new covenant's about to happen. And here comes the sign of the new covenant. It's revealed at the outset. And Jesus joins us in covenant solidarity by being baptized himself. Now, you've thought about this, and we've talked about this. Jesus didn't repent of his sins, so why did he have to be baptized like you and I? He chose to be baptized in solidarity with you and I because he's going to institute a new covenant and he's going to participate in the ritual of the new covenant. Now, we could argue about whether the infilling of the Holy Spirit or baptism is the the mark of the new covenant, and we'll debate that a little bit later, but let's just go with baptism for right now. Again... I don't know what it was like to be John the Baptist. I mean, I know what I... Alan, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, upon your profession of faith, we take your word for it. We believe you, brother. Uh, I baptize you now. You've received Christ. You repented of your sins. You're no longer in Adam. Now you're in Jesus. Beautiful. Now I'm John the Baptist. Jesus, have you repented of your sins? No. Uh, you see the problem here. I don't know what John said. Maybe he just said what he said at that one moment. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that I said was coming after me, but he was preferred before me, whose shoe latch and I am not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. This is the Son of God. Splash, splash, and out you go. Maybe that's what happened. The point is this. Jesus was baptized. Amen? Now, what it meant is, it's the sign of the new covenant, and I'm going to join in solidarity. My brother Jesus has been baptized, just like I was baptized when I was younger. Have you been baptized? Jesus was. You ought to join hands with Jesus and and be baptized. It's It's the sign of the covenant. I'm going to read you what John said at that baptism. 
John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, God, told me this. The man you see the Holy Spirit come down and remain on, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John, you baptize with water, but this guy, when you see this happen, it's going to mark out the hero of the story. The one who can give new hearts. The one who the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit kind of comes and goes a little bit. Now it's going to reside permanently upon people, but firstly, Jesus Christ. John said this, I have seen and I do testify that this is God's chosen one. This is God's chosen one who can constitute a new people. A people who are, back to the beginning, living images of God. People in a covenant relationship filled with the Holy Spirit, living temples of God, baptized to declare their faith in Jesus Christ, and that transformation is underway in their hearts. In Colossians, Paul would pick up on this theme, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Let me make that really simple. Jesus is God in a man's body. That's what it means. Deity, God, in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. It's a cutting that's happened when you believe on Christ. And it's some kind of inward cutting where the body of sin is cut loose from the real spirit you inside. And you're no longer a slave to sin and a slave to the body. Verse 12, having been buried with Him, how? In which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him, Jesus, from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. All this is saying that Jesus has come to redeem a new people for His kingdom. And that new people, He's going to call His body or the church. As a church, we are a people whose locus is no longer tribal. No longer genealogical. No longer national. No longer racial. We are all one people by faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do you get in this new covenant? How do you enter into this new covenant? Well, Paul told us, Romans 10, as the scripture says, anyone, anyone. Can we all agree that says anyone? Like John 3.16 says, whosoever, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew, well, the Jews thought there was, that's for sure. Now listen to Paul, who is a Jew, but he's now converted and in the new covenant, his eyes have been opened. Listen to what he says, there's no difference, not when it comes to being saved, between a Jew and a Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall, will be saved. Well, praise God, that's how you get in the covenant. You call upon the Lord and ask Him to save you, and by faith call Him your great King and your Lord, and He'll come into your life and be the Lord of your life. And we are the new people of God through faith in Christ. Let me show you this beautiful verse. I'm about, about at my time's limit now. Galatians 3, watch this. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God. How? Through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Watch these words. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He doesn't leave it there. Watch him tie the covenants together. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's. Then are you Abraham's children, seed, and heirs according to the promise. All the covenants point to Jesus. If by faith you receive Jesus, you get it all. That's why 
the meek shall inherit the earth. You want the land? You get it in the end. The earth belongs to you. You're destined to own it. Because that's always been God's idea from the beginning. He made Adam and Eve kings of the earth. Boom. And dropped them right there. That's where we're going back to. And what it's teaching is that God's kingdom is international. The church was meant to transcend racial identities. It was always the plan of God for the church to be multicultural. And in Christ Jesus, all of God's promises are now being fulfilled for us. The kingdom of God is here, and the new creation has already begun. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the entire church community of believers. Everyone in the church knows God in a direct and personal relationship. Our sins have been forgiven, and although we're waiting for the final state, the resurrection of our bodies and the resurrection of this planet, even now, we are living out what it means to be God's covenant people. All right, let's talk about the covenant. We're going to close. Our covenant, church covenant, cornerstone covenant. This is why when you sign the church covenant today, we ask questions about your salvation experience before becoming a member of our church. See, Israel was a mixed community. They weren't all believers. The new covenant people are supposed to all be believers. That's why we're going to ask questions when you get ready to be a part of the church. And we're going to say, have you received Christ as your Savior? And if not, let's do that. That's why we're going to ask you before you sign a covenant with the church family about your baptism. Have you been baptized after your salvation to declare to the world, I'm in solidarity with Jesus and the the rest of the covenant community and uh, buried with Christ and risen with Christ to live this new life as God's covenant person. Because the church is a new covenant people, we are all supposed to be saved and baptized. Remember, Israel had the outward marks, but no heart. A mixed people, believers and unbelievers, were in the old Israel. The church is not to be a mixed group. And that's not saying we don't want unbelievers to come in, and hear, but we want them to be saved. Be baptized and join, join the family. The church is to be that regenerated community. People with changed hearts. People who can testify that they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, living in their hearts. We all have the same faith in Christ. We've all identified with Christ in baptism. We are, this is our declaration that we are, we are an assembly of believers. For this reason, baptism here. And I know people believe differently, and that's okay. They're our friends. But here, this is why we apply baptism only to those who profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's the expression, I have believed, now I will be baptized. I'm no longer in Adam. Now I'm in Jesus Christ, and I can give evidence to the fact that I have been born again. I have received the Holy Spirit. I have entered into that suzerain vassal covenant that little king great king covenant with god and i promise to advance the interests of my great king let me ask you a closing question what are the interests of your great king listen we enter into a covenant together as god's new covenant people we're saying to the great suzerain king the great king king we call you lord And we're here to do your will. We're here to advance your interests in our kingdom here on earth. May your kingdom come here. May your will be done here as it's done in heaven through us and here in our presence. We're here to advance your interests. Let me ask you a question. What are his interests? What what is his mission? Well, let me just remind you in case you forget. Jesus died and he rose again from the dead and he called all of his disciples together. The whole church family, the new covenant family... And he said, I'm about to go sit on heaven's throne again. And before I leave this place, I'm now putting you in charge. Here's what it sounded like. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I'm the big kahuna. I am the great God, the creator of the universe. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And here's my command to you as my vassals. Go make disciples of all nations. 
You teach them to observe everything I have commanded. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And here's my promise. Even though I'm distant, I'll never be distant. I'll be right there living in your heart and I'll be ever present with you. If I leave in bodily form, I will send the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, 16, 17. And we will be one and you will never be alone. Now you've entered into that covenant with God. Let me ask you, how are you carrying out your covenant duties? It's not a list of rules to live by. It's about advancing the interest of the great king. Are you making disciples? Could it be that the modern church is like old Israel? Have the steeple. See our mark? We've got a sign. We've got a cross. Do you make disciples? No, not so much. Not so much. Have a great band, though. Have a great band. We have some cool things. But do you make disciples? Because that's advancing the interest of the great king. All right, let, let me close right here. If you open the Church Center app, it's open now and will be for the next few weeks. Bottom right-hand corner, it says, Sign the Church Covenant. You click on the Church Covenant button, and here's my directions for you. If you've been previously a member, we just kind of reset the whole membership through this COVID-19. If you've been previously a member, which means you've believed on Jesus Christ by faith, and after your faith in Christ, you were baptized, sign the church covenant today, and you'll be registered as a member of this church. Now, to walk the aisle, now to fill out a card, it's all done electronically, sign that and take care of that. And remember that a covenant is about a relationship. You're in a relationship with the great king, but you're also now in a relationship with Susan and I. And Chris, and Tammy, and Jeff, and Damon, because they're covenant members as well. And my life's going to affect your life, and your life's going to affect my life. And what would be the coolest thing in the world is if we could all join hands together to get disciples made for Jesus Christ till our great King returns. Be the coolest thing ever. If you've not received Christ as your Savior, or listen, if you're unsure, please hear my words right here. Don't be embarrassed about this. Listen, maybe you've been in a church and maybe people think you've been a member for 30 years, but in your heart you don't have peace. You, you, you don't know that you're born again. Listen, let's take care of that today. That's no way to live. And we always think, what will people think of me? They'll hug your neck. They'll shed tears of joy. Listen, no one's going to think less of you that you're now ready to be saved. Get saved today. When we dismiss in just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Alan and, and Leah and some of our elders. I see you back there, Jade. Some of you got, you're going to be in the back of the church. If anybody needs to pray about this salvation matter and seal that up, let's get that done today. Okay? If you need to be baptized. Uh, Jeremy, are you in the room right now? Talk to me. November 4, yep. baptism class. Praise God. November 4th, baptism class. Chris, November 4th, baptism class. How do I sign up for that, Jeremy? You're like a broken record, man. <laughs> Church Center app will help you sign up for baptism class. Uh, we just ask you to go to the class so we make sure you understand what baptism is about. Very simple. Uh, not even one hour class. Going to talk about baptism, going to set your room up, going to get your baptism t-shirt, going to get you all set to go. We're going to ask you just to, in your own words, tell us about your salvation experience. And you're just going to say, here's what it was like. I prayed and asked God to come up. And you're going to tell us, and we're going to start rejoicing that you're about to become a member of this church. To become a member, our documents at Cornerstone say you have to go to a membership class and sign the covenant, Okay. If you've never been to the membership class and you're seeking membership in our church and you're not an old, old member, all of you old members are grandfathered in unless you want to come to the class, which you might enjoy. I don't know. But if you want to be a part of Discover Cornerstone as your entryway into the church, then I want you to enroll in that today. I'm scared to ask. Jeremy, how do I enroll in Discover Cornerstone? Church sent... Okay, all right. All right, let me close right here. Covenant's a big deal. Do you get that? 
represents a serious relationship. People haven't always taken it seriously, but God's always taken it seriously. And I want you to know, I want you and I to take our membership in this church seriously. It's a big deal. I pledge a portion of my income to the advancement of the cause of Christ at this church. I'm not a rich man. And Susan and I are all in financially. All in. And have been for some time. All in. Listen, I want you to know I'm all in with my energy and my time and my love. And I want you to be all in together with me. You say, what are we going to do? We're going to make disciples for the great king. And a whole bunch of them. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's use this moment now, before we dismiss in song, let's use this moment to seal with God the decision we need to make. Now some of you, most of you are going to sign the covenant. You're going to re-pledge to walk together in the new covenant, in this church covenant as covenant members, but some may need to be born again today. Listen, I'm just rejoicing if that's you. I can't wait to hear. I can't wait to hug your neck and praise God that you were saved today and committed your life to the great King. If you want someone to pray with you, listen, I I can see some of our elders, some of our leaders, men and women in the back of the church, just slip out of your seat anytime between now and you go home and just walk up to one of those people and say, pray with me. I, I just... I see somebody pray with me. Maybe it's not even about salvation. Maybe it's about something. I'll just pray with me. They're right there ready to help you right now. You just slip out. Go take somebody's hand. And they'll guide you to give your heart to Christ. In your heart right now, say, God, our great King. I want to recommit my life to you today. I want to rededicate myself to you, reconsecrate myself to you today. Lord, if I could renew my vows, that'd be awesome today just to say I love you. I'm yours, you're mine. And I want to be in a relationship with you for all of eternity, world without end. I want to be everything you designed a human to be. I want to be a living image of the great king. I want to be a king and a priest. I want to rule over your creation in a righteous way for you. I want to advance your agenda here on earth. And God, I dedicate myself to that mission to make disciples for Jesus Christ. God, Anoint us fresh this morning with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to live as living images of you this week to a world that desperately needs to see you. Lord, let them see in your children this week calmness and confidence and peace and assurance for a world that's terrified. Lord, let them see Christ living in us. Father, bless your people as we journey from this place today. Fill our hearts. And let it overflow to everyone around us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' holy name we pray. God's people said, let's stand together. Let's stand together and we'll sing a closing song. God bless you for...